You are listening to the sermon audio from Renaissance Church. We pray this message equips you to be formed into the image of Christ as you grow in your love of God, and it fuels you to love your neighbor as yourself. We are convinced that while this sermon audio is beneficial, it should only be supplemental and not replace local church involvement, the pastor God has put over your life, or your commitment to gather in person with other believers to make more disciples for the fame of Jesus. Peace be with you. Amen. Well, I'm going to invite you to stand again for the reading of God's Word. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 28, verses 1 through 10. Matthew chapter 28, verses 1 through 10. For those of you not familiar with your Bibles, it's going to be in the second half, really the the latter eighth of your Bible. It's the first gospel of the New Testament and the final chapter of that gospel. So this is Matthew chapter 28, verses 1 through 10. My friends and brothers and sisters, hear the word of the Lord. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. Behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know what you seek, Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here For he has risen, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I've I've told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. This is the word of the Lord. Can we say thanks be to God? Thanks be to God. Let me pray one more time over this word. Father, speak. Your servants are listening. Give us ears to not only hear this word, but be doers by your spirit of this word. We ask all of this in Christ's resurrected name. Amen. You guys could be seated. Well, the Apostle Paul tells us this. He says, And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those who have also fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope only in this life only, we are of all people to be most pitied. Do you see what the Apostle Paul is saying here? He's saying if Christ has not been resurrected from the grave, then your faith is futile. He's saying if Christ has not been raised from the grave, then we might as well just 
pack up and go home, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we could die. But Christ has raised from the dead. Amen? And this is the truth on which the whole crux of the New Testament stands. Now, you might have some friends or family members, or you might even be in here this morning saying, I, 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 just, I just can't believe it. I mean, did Christ really raise from the dead? I'm not convinced that it's happened. And you might even say that the burden of proof lies on the church to prove that he has raised from the dead. And I'm, I'm not saying this tongue-in-cheek here. That, that's hardly the case. I mean, do you realize it takes more faith to deny the resurrection than it does to believe that Jesus defeated sin and death when he walked out of that tomb that Sunday morning. Why is that the case? It's because the church has more evidence than we need to prove the, the credibility of the resurrection. I mean, first, if the, the resurrection didn't happen, you'd have to tell me and the rest of the church why so many people verified it. I mean, just the Apostle Paul alone, when he writes to the church in Corinth, he tells them, just 15 years have passed. People who have seen the risen Jesus are still alive. And on top of that, there are 500 people that Jesus appeared to. You can go ask all of them. They are still alive. Second, the story that we just read and that I'm preaching from today is perhaps the most unlikely story we would find if someone wanted to prove the resurrection. I mean, this is particularly remarkable because the testimony of women was not accepted in first century Jewish law courts. They did not accept the testimony from women. See, if the resurrection story had been fabricated and was invented and was not historical, the authors of the gospel, who were men... <laughs> could have very easily inserted men at the empty tomb, right? But they didn't. In fact, the first commission witnesses of the resurrected king are women. And all four Gospels agree on this account. Which means the only plausible response is this. It historically and verifiably happened. And third... You'd have to explain why the Gospels don't just end with a resurrection. You guys know this, right? The Gospels don't end with resurrection. It ends and continues with commission. The Gospels continue to tell of people who are willing to die for this resurrected king, and they're still willing to die centuries later to this day, where probably people are being mar martyred to this day across the globe for gathering to sing and praise and hear the word preached about this resurrected king. The burden of proof doesn't lie on the church. It lies on the world to convince us why the resurrection didn't happen. And you might say, your friends might say, well, so what? Who cares? It, who cares if it did happen? What bearing does the resurrection have on my life? Why does the resurrection matter? And I think in Matthew's story here, he's telling us that when you believe in the resurrection of Jesus, it has the power to free you from all of your fears. All of them.
your relational fears, fears about health, fear about the future. And that's what I like to show you. That's what I think Matthew is showing us from this passage. As the angels invite these women to first point, to come and see. It's the first point, to come and see. And then they will meet the risen Jesus on the road where he will tell them to come see me. First point, come and see. Second point, come see me. And if you get anything from this message today, I want it to be this. Before we are ever commanded to go and tell, we are first invited not to fear, to come and see. Before we are ever commanded to go and tell, we are first invited to come and see. You all ready to dive in? Keep those Bibles open to Matthew 28, verses 1 through 10, because we'll be diving in there this morning. So first point, come and see. See, on Friday, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary that we encounter here in verse 1, on Friday, they witnessed Jesus being rejected. They watched as people mocked him. They watched as people spat on his bruised and bloodied face. They watched as others pummeled his abdomen and his back with sharp cat of nine tails where it would rip skin open, rip skin off, expose muscle, cartilage, and bones. They watched as nails went through his hands and pierced his feet. They watched through their tear-stained eyes Jesus hoisted up on that Roman torture device known as the cross. They watched others mock him. They watched as he bled, breathed his last. And they watched as they took him down and laid him in a tomb. A day passed known as the Sabbath, we read in verse 1. And now it's the very early morning. Do you see that in the text? If you're in the armed forces, This is what it's called, B-M-N-T, Before Morning Nautical Twilight. It's before the sun was up and the twilight of the stars and the moon were on the grave. And there they were. These lone female disciples are at the tomb. And the earth shook. Now, if you know your Old Testament... The earth quaking was a huge symbol for God revealing himself. We see this in Exodus chapter 20 where God reveals himself at Mount Sinai. We also see this in 1 Kings chapter 19 at Mount Horeb when God reveals himself to Elijah. The earth quakes. If you're reading along uh, to this liturgy this last week of Holy Week on Friday when you read about the death of Jesus The earth shook for fear when it received him. And now on this early morning, the earth is quaking for joy as he is resurrected from the grave. Here is another revealing of the Lord, a revelation. Now the angel who is white as snow, white as lightning, is descending and he rolls back the tomb. And I love what happens next. He sits down. He sits down. It's almost as if this angel is a living parable. 
He knows there is no more work to be done, for Christ has already finished the work on the cross and finished it in his resurrection. The work of salvation is finished so we can sit down. He is a parable of what it looks like to rest in the finished work of Jesus. But the enemies of Christ don't know what to do. Look with me in Matthew 28, verse 4. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. I love Matthew's play on characters here. There's one who is inside the tomb, seemingly dead, Jesus. And then there's two outside the tomb who are seemingly alive, but are like dead men. And then comes the most frequent command in all the Bible. Start with verse 5 in me. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid. For I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. Twice in this passage, in over a hundred plus variants throughout the entire Bible, we have this command, do not be afraid. It's the most frequent command in all the Bible. Do not be afraid or don't fear or fear not. Now, how many of y'all remember those t-shirts? They might still be around. They said, no fear written across the front of them. You guys remember those? Only three of you? Really? How old am I? Just a couple of you. Maybe you've seen them on the back of trucks with those dually exhausts on the back. Now, this is just from my limited observation. The folks who wore those T-shirts or have that bumper sticker on the back of their truck, they're usually the most insecure and fear-driven people that I've ever encountered. <laughs> I can tell you because I was one of them. That shirt does not work because it gives you no reason why you should not fear. I mean, how many of you have interacted with folks who just say, don't be afraid, and it feels trite and hollow because they give you no reason not to be afraid? It feels hollow. It rings empty because it is. They're not acknowledging your fear. They're just dismissing it but not the angel of the Lord. The angel of the Lord, he doesn't dismiss their fear, but he deals with it by giving them a reason not to be afraid. He knows why they're there. They're seeking Jesus who has died, and he's given them a reason not to fear. What is it? He is no longer dead. He is alive. Jesus is not here because he is risen from the grave. You see, when fear is dismissed, you know what happens? More fear is birthed. But here, fear is not dismissed. It is addressed. The command is gracious because he knows how these women are feeling and addresses it with the only thing that can soothe our deepest fear. What is our deepest fear? Isn't it death? Isn't it the end of our life? This angel, this messenger of the Lord knows 
that the resurrection is an exorcism of fear. It's an exorcism of fear. Christologist, a church father from the early 900s, he says this, the order of things is changed. The tomb, meaning capital T, Jesus' tomb, devours death and not the dead. That's supposed to be read dead there. The tomb devours death and not the dead. The house of death becomes the mansion of life. Do you see what he's saying? The tomb swallows up death, but the tomb doesn't swallow up the dead. The tomb swallows up our sin without swallowing up the sinner. The tomb swallows up all of our shame without doing away with us. It conquers our greatest fear. And the angel, notice this, he doesn't invite them to a blind faith. Did you notice that? He doesn't say, no, 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 you're not allowed to look. Just trust my words. Just believe me. Trust me and go. No, the angel did not roll back the stone to let Jesus out. He rolled back the stone to let the women in. Jesus never comes out of the grave because the stone is rolled away. The stone's rolled away so they can be invited in to see that Jesus is not here. He has risen. This angel's command to investigate is freeing. See, Christian faith is not anti-intellectualism. It's not anti-empiricalism. It's not anti-curiosity. God can handle your hard questions. He's not afraid of your questions. In fact, his messengers say, come and see. Come and see it for yourself. He is not here. He is alive. Come see the place where he laid dead without breathing, without his heart pumping. He's no longer here. Jesus is alive. Do you see? You are forgiven because he was forsaken. You are no longer dead in your sins because they have been buried in the grave. You have nothing left to fear because Jesus is alive. Now hurry, go and tell his disciples that he has gone ahead of them and will meet them in Galilee. And after these women came and saw that empty tomb. What did they do? They got up quickly and left and went to find those disciples. And on their way, they're going to meet the risen one who says, second point, come to me. The angel says, come and see, but Jesus says, come to me. Matthew 28, 8, read with me. So they departed quickly from the tomb, and with fear and great joy, they ran to tell his disciples. And I love these disciples, Mary and Mary. Angels say, go quickly. What'd they do? What'd they do, church? They went quickly. Like I said last week, you don't need to go to seminary to know how to follow Jesus. You don't need more degrees than Fahrenheit to be able to figure out how to obey the simple commands of Scripture. Go quickly. And look what they did. They went quickly. It's hearing and it's doing. Now this one woman, Mary Magdalene, she stands immovably by Jesus all throughout his life. 
She's there while he's teaching. She's there when he's betrayed. She's there even in and past his death. She's there when he dies. She's there when she is, he's buried. And now again, she is at the gravesite at the first day of the week. I mean, where are the many admirers from the triumphal entry? Where are the apostles and the disciples? Where are those who were miraculously healed by Jesus? I mean, are these the only two women left in the Jesus movement? It would seem so, but not for long. It says, with fear and great joy, they went in verse 8. Now, you might say, how can fear and great joy coexist? Don't that, doesn't that seem mutually exclusive? I mean, but think about it for a second. Think about how you got up and came here this morning. Did you have great joy that you're able to see brothers and sisters and gather on Resurrection Day? Yeah. There's also a little bit of fear coming to gather during a pandemic. I mean, how many of you, when you move to a new city, like, I'm moving to a new city. Well, I'm moving to a new city. Or maybe it was like me the day after I got engaged. It's like, I got engaged. Oh, my goodness, I'm getting married. <laughs> maybe you mothers who found out you were pregnant, you were elated. You realize, I don't know how to be a mom. I've never been a mom before. Fear and great joy can coexist. And I think that this is what courage looks like. Courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is having the strength to step into something regardless of what happens because you know what your ultimate outcome is. These ladies, because Christ has been risen from the dead, know their ultimate outcome. It's not death. It's life for all eternity, pleasures forevermore with God. And that great joy in the future resurrection is giving them courage even though fear is present. But little did they know that they would have that last ounce of fear outweighed by the presence of the resurrected king. And look who they meet. Matthew 28, verse 9. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up, took hold of his feet, and they worshipped him. I recently this last week, read a story about a, a pastor who, during the, the children's time before a church service, having been a part of a church before where they have the children's time. So it was Resurrection Sunday, and he asked the kids, hey, what was Jesus' first words to his disciples after he raised from the dead? And this little girl is just going crazy, raising her hand. And he's thinking, do, do, do I call on her? Should I call on her? So, what? What the heck? I'll, I'll call on her. Calls on her, and she goes, ta-da! <laughs> it's what we might do if we perform this miraculous feat, being raised from the dead. But not the gentle, kind, humble, and patient Jesus. The word that you see translated greetings should really be translated 
peace. The Greek word there means peace. It comes over from the Hebrew word in the Old Testament, shalom. Peace. Shalom. Hello, he says. What mercy in the morning as the sun rises to hear peace from the risen Savior. He's not a triumphant king who says, you know, stand back. Don't you know who I am? I'm the chosen one. I'm the risen king. Stand back. Stay back away from me. Don't touch me. He's not a domineering leader who says, you know what? If you and your disciples act that way again, I'll have you crucified next time. No. That's not our gentle and kind risen Jesus. He greets us with merciful peace, a peace we don't deserve, and he gives it to us. He invites us into it. And can the doctrine of the two natures of the Son of Man be any more succinctly put here? They grab his feet. His feet, he is truly man. They worship him. He is truly God. In this small little verse, we see the dual nature of the Son of Man. He is truly man. He is truly God. And hearing these words, we can imagine the early church thinking, He is God, and yet He became like us. This is an appearance, was not a vision. It's not a product of hallucination. He is really alive. And look what Jesus says next in verse 10. And Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. And there they will see me. Come. Come to me. Don't be afraid. There is that command again. Don't be afraid. Jesus knows that fear monopolizes their attention and our attention, does it not? Fear paralyzes response. Messengers of the resurrection, messengers of this good news, must begin with this command, do not be afraid. Because fear blocks good news. Fear stuffs out and jams the gospel. Jesus says, put away your fears. Now, I read an, an article a little bit ago by a guy named Paul Tripp. He's a counselor out in Philadelphia. He says that giving way to fear is typically characterized by meditating on the trouble you guys are facing. Anybody meditate on trouble and trials? Just think about it all the time. Great, I'm not alone in here. It's meditating on this trouble while forgetting the triumph of the resurrection. This fear reveals itself when we allow our minds and our hearts to be controlled by what worries us. Do not be afraid. Sisters, what worries you? 
My brothers, what are you afraid of? What gives you anxiety? What keeps you up at night? What is all that you think about, all that you read about, all that you talk about? See, any type of trouble or trial that consumes your meditation, the larger it will loom, the bigger it will seem, and the more frightened you'll become because the solutions seem to be no good. In this world, you will face grave danger. In this world, you will face suffering. In this world, you will experience loneliness. In this world, you will experience strife in your relationships. God has given us the ability to be concerned, yes. So acting as if there is no reason for concern is foolishness. It's not wise. God is not saying have no fear at all. He's saying recognize your fears and fear something greater. Fear God is the beginning of wisdom. See, the problem is not that you have not let the resurrection consume your meditation. It's that we've let our circumstances consume our meditation. And whatever trouble consumes your meditation, that's where we think we'll end up. But when we meditate on what we ultimately have forgotten, we can have hope today. And that hope roots out all fears because Jesus has taken care of our ultimate problem, church. He has taken care of the consequence of our sin for the wages of sin. Romans 3 is, it's over and done with. He's walked out of the tomb. The grave is empty. If it's empty, that means that one day your mortal bodies will be raised to life and you'll have life everlasting with God. The worst problem you can ever face, the worst fear you can ever have has been solved by Jesus walking out of this tomb, rising victoriously over the grave in our sin. You have nothing to fear. Nothing to fear. We have forgotten that Christ not only died for our sins, but he was raised to justify us. You know what justify means? God views us just as if we've never sinned. We've forgotten that there is a Lord of glory, a resurrected glory, who has said no difficulty of any time, no trouble of any time, no person, no place, no pandemic can ever separate you from my love for you because Christ has been risen from the dead. This is the good hope and the good news of the gospel, but typically we find ourselves looking horizontally, don't we, instead of vertically. We look horizontally, things that may seem entirely out of our control. It's because they are. But when we look vertically, we will see a resurrected and enthroned king who is in control of all things and he's doing all things he's working all things out Romans 8:28 for the good of those who love him in saying the words fear not Jesus is saying the worst thing that could ever happen to you has happened to me 
so that it does not have to happen to you. You no longer have to be controlled by your fears because I was abandoned. And you will never be abandoned by the Father. I was forsaken, and you will never be forsaken by the Father. I was forgotten in the grave by my disciples. But now three days later, the grave could not hold him. Death could not contain him. And he walked out of the grave victoriously, so we no longer have to be a slave to fear because we are now children of God. Where do we see this in this final verse 10 here? Don't be afraid. Go tell my what? Brothers, what did the angel say? Don't be afraid. Go tell who? My disciples. See, in hearing these words, fear not. These women would also have heard the words that they and the disciples were forgiven because Jesus is using family language here. Go tell my brothers. Brothers is warm. Go tell them to come to me in Galilee. Who is he calling his brothers? Faithful disciples? No, failed disciples. Guys who couldn't figure it out. In this one word, brothers, is the whole crux of the New Testament doctrine of forgiveness. They are forgiven by my Father, and now me, their true and better older brother, has bought their forgiveness. They're no longer enemies of God, but now children of God. And yet this is another reason we can trust the historicity of the resurrection. We can trust the history of the Gospels is because, man, if you were an apostle, would you tell of all the mistakes that you made? If you had all the time in the world to tell how great you were and great of a follower of Jesus you were, wouldn't you just write it in because you could? But not these disciples. They show that they were weak. They show that they were faithless. They show that they have messed up and they failed Jesus. And yet here we have Jesus saying, they're my brothers. Go tell my brothers. He could have called them a lot of things, couldn't he have? Go tell those cowards. Go tell those wash-ups. No, the risen king says, go get my brothers. Go get my family. And some of you right now are feeling like those disciples who abandoned Jesus. And by the authority of this word, I want to tell you, brother and sister, Jesus wants to see you. Jesus wants to see you. He doesn't want to see you based on your desire for him. He wants to see you based on his desire for you. And he calls you brother. If you're ever saying to yourself, my faith is weak, why would he want to see me? I would say good. Then he has a faith that he could work with. He doesn't want a prideful faith. He wants a weak faith because it's not the amount of faith that we have. It's the object of our faith, the risen Christ. Or you might be saying, what will he say to me when he sees me? 
He will say, peace. Hello. You are my brother. You are my sister. Many of you in here think that Jesus just puts up with you. Oh, no. He doesn't put up with you. He wants to see you. And he's gone through great lengths to see you. He's went through death itself and rose victoriously so that you can come and see. Come and see. Come taste and see how good Christ is and what he has done for you. And it's when you come and see and experience this grace, you will then be motivated no longer by fear, but by his warm embrace, his love, to then go and tell. And what do we find? What do we find these ladies doing? They go and tell. They're not motivated by fear. They're motivated by a love, a forgiveness that casts out all fear. They go on and tell the world. They have come and seen the risen king, and now they are go and tell that Christ, the king, has risen. He has risen indeed. N.T. Wright pens this. He says, people who believe in the resurrection and God making a whole new world in which everything will be set right at last are unstoppably motivated to work for that new world in the present. Church, we have nothing left to fear because our worst fear has been taken care of. And that future hope in our future resurrection gives us the motivation to go and tell, to go and tell others to now come and see what the Lord has done for me. Amen? So let's be this people who are not motivated by fear, but motivated by Christ's familial love. I'm telling you, brothers, telling you, sisters, Jesus wants to see you. And he will one day when he returns or calls us home. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this resurrection message. Father, we ask for your forgiveness when we forget 